0: Okay. It is good to be with you all this morning and uh, to be able to continue in our study uh, through the book of Nehemiah. And uh, when Matt uh, asked me if I was available to, to be here today, I was delighted to be able to, uh, to say yes. And uh, as we were looking at the text of, of uh, Nehemiah, the, uh, the chapter that, is, that falls to me today is chapter 7. So if you have your uh, your uh, Bible with you, uh, please turn to Nehemiah chapter 7. And uh, as you look at it, it, when I first looked at it and told Matt I would just do the next chapter, and I opened it up and I looked, oh, this is like a, a whole list of names. Uh, so it's kind of a challenging text, but at the same time, it's God's Word, and it, it, and He has much to speak to us about this morning. So we're eager to look at... at uh, Nehemiah chapter 7. If you've been with us uh, over the past several weeks, you know uh, that um, we've gone through the uh, uh, task of Nehemiah and rallying the people to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem and all the things that went into that. Uh, We saw from the very beginning that Nehemiah was a a man of of great prayer, a godly man who led with uh, leadership skill but also with integrity of heart. He was a a man who feared God, and uh, above all, all things, and and so the the task that we saw him approach in the first uh, six chapters of this book is the was the task of of provide, providing protection for the people of Jerusalem, the the uh, those who had had come back to the land, and and uh, and and so uh, that task has been completed, but. The task has been completed, but nevertheless, it's, the, the work is not done. There is much yet to do. And so um, we, we read in the first four verses, Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been apport, appointed, I gave my brother Hanai and, Han- and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they were still standing guard, let them shout and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. And so, as we come to the conclusion of the rebuilding of the the wall, we see that there truly is yet work to be done, and uh, we the the wall is built, the doors have been set in place, the protection is there, but the work was not finished. And so uh, Nehemiah knows that his task is to call his God's people from uh, uh, from complacency. There could easily have been the 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 feeling that okay, we've completed the task. The wall is finished. We you know we're we're here. We're Jerusalem is back, so to speak. Uh, and yet uh, the task really is not complete. Uh, we see that uh, Nehemiah knows that just because the wall is up, the enemy still is there. The enemy is still uh, wanting to attack the people, and and uh, and so. Uh, Nehemiah is going to make sure that they don't let their guard down. The, uh, uh, he established, it says here, gatekeepers and singers. Uh, but the the gatekeepers in, in particular here that he mentions I think is important because he says that uh, the gatekeepers are put into place. Now normally the gatekeepers that are referred to here are the gatekeepers not of a wall, but what? Of the temple. And yet these, these uh, folks have been uh, recruited to use the same skills and uh, gifts, if you will, uh, they normally guard the temple gates, but here they're guarding the city gates, and there's that uh, awareness, that heightened uh, uh, awareness of of danger on their part that the enemy could attack, and and so we need to have uh, gatekeepers at the door, and uh, and the Levites had been appointed. He's he's beginning to. To make movement too, and we're going to see when you in chapter eleven, there'll be another list of names, and uh, Matt gets to have that list, and uh, but in in that list we're going to see a movement towards more normalcy of life in Jerusalem, and uh, and this is sort of uh, laying the foundation, setting the stage for that event, and uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Nehemiah uh, is about the uh, the, uh, the task now of setting up certain safeguards for God's people. The safeguards are physical for sure. They're talking about guarding the gate and not opening the gate until certain times and, and, and bolting the gate at other times. But we'll also see, not only in chapter 7, but in particularly chapter 8, when we see a, a great spiritual revival take place, that Nehemiah is, is preparing God's people uh, spiritually as well, and uh, and so that's very, very key as we under, seek to understand what's going on here. Uh, Nehemiah, as we already know, has ex- exhibits great leadership qualities, uh, and uh, there have even been secular uh, leadership books written uh, based on the book of Nehemiah and taking the principles of le- leadership that Nehemiah displayed as he uh, led God's people, but as we all know, uh, Nehemiah, uh, it goes deeper than that. But Nehemiah, at this point, uh, in other words, deeper than just business principles. It's it's God is leading him. And at this point, God is also giving him uh, discernment to give leadership to other people. And here it says to uh, in verse 2, I gave my brother Hannah, Hananiah, and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. So Nehemiah, he, he sort of spearheaded the effort to... To build the uh, the wall, rebuild the wall, but now he's he's putting other people in position that have have gifts and skills and that can can help in uh, governing the uh, this new this renewed city uh, of Jerusalem. The I like, by the way, I'm reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version, uh, this morning. But I like the NIV's version of this a little bit better, where, it's, where it talks about not the governor of the castle, but the the commander of the citadel. Uh, The citadel was a fortress that was located in the northwest corner of the the city of Jerusalem on the wall. And, uh, you know, um, there was a very real threat uh, to a military attack on the the walled city. And so the fact that uh, Nehemiah appoints somebody uh, governor of of the citadel tells us that he's anticipating such an attack. but we go on to see that, that uh, these people were, were uh, designated such, not just because, uh, in fact, some people even say these two are the same people. I think most people would say they're not. They're two different people. But uh, the, uh, the first being uh, Nehemiah's brother. And somebody might say, well, that seems kind of fishy, uh, appointing your brother uh, to a leadership position like that. But Nehemiah at this point knew, had to know uh, the people that he was appointing, he had to know uh, their heart, where they stood with the Lord, what their spiritual life was like, and and uh, Nehemiah with a brother uh, would have known this uh, the the quality of this particular individual. And then Hananiah tells us he was more faithful and uh, a more faithful and God fearing man than many. It tells us right off that, that uh, Nehemiah, the character qualities that Nehemiah is looking for when he's seeking leadership within, uh, amongst God's people. I would suggest to you that even though this is uh, obviously st- uh, situated in a historical context uh, with Nehemiah and his day, many of these principles really do apply to the church as well. When we think about looking for leadership within the church, uh, we should be looking. For people of character. That's one of the things that stands out very clearly here. We're, uh, we're told that um, Hananiah was uh, more f- a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. Um, just Let's sort of pick that apart a little bit before we just pass that. Because that's a very important part of this text. Um, a man of integrity. A, a man of truth. Somebody that can be trusted. Um, and uh, we think about the the trustworthiness uh, of an individual when you put somebody in charge of something, one of the things you make you really want to have happen is that that person is trustworthy. If you've given them a task to do they're they are trustworthy they're going to do it and the the whole idea of integrity is is, is just that then that when given a, a task, they can be trusted and not just trusted in the sense that they can fulfill the task and check off the list of all the things that need to be done with that job that's been given. But more importantly, that they can be trusted to lead in line with God's priorities, to lead in such a way that that will reflect the the character of God. Uh, These are God's people, and the leadership needed to reflect that. Uh, so when they were looking for when Nehemiah was looking for somebody to to step up and to uh, help him lead the people, he was looking for people that were uh, following God. They they had gave evidence of the fact that that uh, their life was being governed by the Lord. Their walk was in step with God, and those were the character traits that that Nehemiah were, was looking for. And, uh, and it also says here that he feared God more than most. Uh, I like that because no, for two reasons. Number one, the fearing of God. There's a reverence for God. There's a, a sense in which these, these individuals uh, live life with the understanding that they were living um, and walking with holy God. And uh, it's not a relationship to just be taken casually. Yes, it's 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 a relationship that's close, but at the same time, it's a relationship that is, that is deeply rooted in the character of God. But I also like the fact that it says, more than most. In other words, Nehemiah is looking not just for the bottom line character quality, he's looking for the one who is more than most. Uh, fears God, uh, sort of sets themselves apart as one who fears God. And uh, that, I think, is is also uh, a key here. I I think about Paul when he was writing to Timothy, uh, you know, in the very familiar passage in 1 Timothy 3 where he's setting up qualifications there for elders in the church as the early church was beginning to take leadership structure uh, as well. And uh, as we read through that text in 1 Timothy 3, it talks about the need for somebody in that position to be above reproach, not just kind of the, the bottom line, uh, you know, okay, they meet the, the basic requirements, but above reproach. In fact, it goes on to talk about having a good rep- reputation, uh, being well thought of by outsiders. So this is a person who sort of is, as, as uh, Nehemiah says here, who is God-fearing, uh, a God-fearing man more than, than many or more than most. This person has set themselves apart as one who clearly is is living for, for God and uh, and and that's uh, shows in the way in which they live their life and and so Nehemiah puts these people into positions of, of leadership key leadership positions and uh, and then uh, as we know from Nehemiah he's going to let them lead and it kind of reminds you of Theodore Roosevelt who who said you know you've probably heard this quote before but the the best executive or the best leader is the one who has sense enough to pick good men to do what he wants done and self-restraint enough to keep from meddling with them while they do it. And that's, uh, that was Theodore Roosevelt's, but I kind of sense that that's uh, very much like Nehemiah. He, he picked these people. He's entrusted a task to these people. He, he's, they are people who are trustworthy, men of integrity. Uh, and so uh, because of that, he's enabled... He, he, he uh, allows them to to go ahead and and lead as they are to lead. We read in verse three, then, and I said to them, "Let not the gates." So he doesn't just pick them uh, into uh, he picks them based on their character, but now he's going to be giving them the task. He's outlining the task. Uh, I said to them, "Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot." Now, normally, when a, a city would um, uh, you know, at, at dawn or at daybreak, the, the merchants that were uh, going to be selling their wares that day, they would uh, be ready to go. And, and, you know, as soon as dawn came, the gates were open. Merchants came, you know, even before everybody else was really up and about, uh, setting up their booth and, and uh, to prepare to sell their wares. Well, um, Nehemiah feels that we, at this particular point, we, we don't need to do that. We need to wait. Uh, wait till the sun gets hot. Wait till it's a little later in the morning. Uh, let people get up and about. The reason being is that uh, Nehemiah is, a, is afraid that, that the enemy is, is going to use that as an opportunity to, uh, to if you will, attack the city uh, at a time when many people are still kind of groggy and just getting up. Maybe they're still asleep. And, uh, and so um, he doesn't want the city to be caught off guard. Now, we'll see in just a second that there really aren't a whole lot of people in this city at this point, but nevertheless, uh, we, we need to be sure, Nehemiah says, that we guard the city, that we not be caught off guard, that uh, we have an awareness of the, the enemy's potential to attack. Now, I'd like to stop for just a second and, and uh, transfer this principle to our day as well. When we go about the course of life, We've already talked about the fact that we are to be people of integrity, people that are trustworthy, people that are faithful, the kinds of people that Nehemiah was looking for. Uh, but second of all, we need to be uh, on, our, on guard. We need to be aware that, that our enemy, as it says in 1 Peter, is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is, he is very much uh, at, at work. And, and seeking to trip up God's people. We all, we all know, tragically, of, of way too many people who have, you know, I'm thinking of, in terms of pastors and other church leaders who have, uh, you know, been uh, following God, leading other people to follow God. And then they somehow or another let their guard down. And the the enemy, the spiritual enemy, has come into their, their uh, penetrated the wall of their heart and began to... Uh, bring them down. And so we need, as, as even today, we need to not be caught off guard um, and to relax our guard. And just as in that day, they they could not relax their physical guard of the city um, and, and just sort of rest on their past, past accomplishments. They could have easily said, you know, wow, did you see what happened? We, we rebuilt the wall in a very short period of time. Amazing task that just took place. And that was the, 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 the main task that Nehemiah had originally been tasked with. Well, that's been accomplished. And we could just sort of kick back now and relax a little bit and, and talk about our, our past accomplishments. And, you know, get up and just sort of sit around the campfire and talk about Remember that, you know, that Remember those first days when it seemed like, you know, that was an impossible task? And suddenly things came together and, and wow, there's the city gate. I mean, there's the, the, the wall. And, uh, and, uh, we, and yet, uh, we're called to not do that. Uh, we're called to continue to serve, to continue to take care of that which God has instru- entrusted to us. I'm reminded uh, recently of a text in Psalm 92. Psalm 92, I guess, you know, the, the, the older I get, I, this uh, text especially applies to me. But in Psalm 92, it talks about uh, the righteous... Uh, those who are righteous, those who are in God, in Christ, uh, uh, ultimately, like, uh, are like the palm tree. They grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord. In other words, they're, they're planted in the presence of God. They, they live in, in the presence of God. They flourish in the courts of our God, and they still bear fruit in old age, and they are evergreen. And uh, I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be. I want to be somebody who is always growing. I'm not content to just, okay, yeah, I built that wall. Okay, I, I accepted Christ. I, you know, I, I've memorized X number of verses. I can kind of now cruise through the Christian life. No, I, I want to be one who's continually growing, that I'll always be ever, uh, green, evergreen, that I'll be bearing fruit as long as God gives me breath and health, that I want to be uh, a, a one like as described there in Psalm 92, that, that we don't just rest on our laurels. And so um, Nehemiah sets up a schedule. He sets up a, a security system. He's not, uh, you know, the schedule is that we're not going to open the gates like a uh, like normal city might. We're not ready for that yet. Um, and, uh, and we're only, uh, and we're going to establish these guards at the gate who are going to make sure that we are alerted to any potential danger. Just like we need to set guards in our life to alert us to spiritual danger, uh, Nehemiah was uh, instructing the people ter- in terms of their physical danger. Verse 4 then goes on to say the city was wide and large. I mean, he, he kind of looks out and, you know, remember not that long ago, the, the city and the walls were just kind of, you know, in rubble and the, wall, the city uh, wall is rebuilt. He's looking out, and he sees, there's the wall. I can see the outline of the city, but there's something missing from the wall, from this picture. And what is it? The city is wide and large, um, but the people within it were few. Uh, this, this is supposed to be a city. A city is filled with people. It's bustling with activity. People that are interacting with one another, having commerce, engaging in commerce, and, and uh, Certainly, amongst the people of God, uh, getting together, praying with one another, all those kinds of things, he looks out over the city and he sees the wall, but he doesn 't see that happening he doesn 't see people there and, and that's that 's obviously a problem um, and even it says, uh, and no houses but had been rebuilt. there were maybe a handful a remnant of people that were that were in the within the walls of the city, but most of the folks. When they came back from captivity, had built homes outside of what is now currently the city of Jerusalem, and so there's a there's a situation here that we're going to see Nehemiah address. And and again, as I mentioned earlier, this is sort of setting the foundation for what uh, we'll look at in, in chapter 11 when uh, when Matt gets to deal with the list of names. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, the uh, the the fact is that that uh, uh, those people had come back. They kind of settled in. They settled out on the surrounding area. And, uh, and so Jerusalem was not where it quite needed to be. That's a problem for lots of reasons, but for the primary reason from the standpoint that Jerusalem is, uh, is an honored place. It was to be an honored place for God and his people. And when he looked out, the, the wording here, Wide and large. I think other translations uh, may say expansive or spacious. The idea being is that here's a city that once had been uh, full of, of activity. And uh, look at it now. The, the wall's there, but there's no activity. There's no, uh, no people that are uh, bustling about. And, and, uh, and so uh, we're going to see that Nehemiah is going to begin to take steps to move God's people Back to the city of Jerusalem. Well, verse five. Um, in, in verse five, we uh, we read then then my God, put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it. And then he begins to uh, to list all the names. You know, this is one of those texts that you just cringe. If somebody ever wants you to, you know, calls on you to read Scripture publicly, you know, you're assigned uh, Nehemiah chapter 7 and you have all these names. Oh, and uh, but uh, we're going to, we'll look at it from a uh, 40,000 feet here in just a second. But one of the things we see in in, uh, verse 5 is that uh, Nehemiah tells us explicitly, God put this on his heart. God put it uh, on my heart. Now, what does that tell us about Nehemiah? That I think is something that should reflect upon us as well, and I think certainly upon myself. Nehemiah was a person who who had a close walk with God. Uh, He had a relationship with God that uh, was demonstrated already, as we saw. That he's a man of prayer, uh, who is uh, one who demonstrated faithfulness. Uh, he lived life with an awareness of God's presence in his midst. Um, he was he was very much aware of God's leading and guidance in his life. I look at my life and I think, is that true of me? Uh, is it uh, day by day, moment by moment, as we as we walk, as I walk through life? Uh, do I have that overwhelming awareness of, of God's presence in my life? Uh, we, you know, when we come to know Christ as our Savior, we have the Spirit of God come and dwell within us, and the presence of God is there. The, the reality is, though, do we, some, do we always uh, uh, have that awareness of His presence? He's there, but do we have that awareness as we're walking with Him? How does that happen? Well, it happens as we, uh, we are people of the Word, as we begin to, to listen to the voice of God. When you want to hear God's voice, Open God's word, and he will speak to us. And so uh, that's the type of person that we see in Nehemiah, and and so it shouldn't surprise us that, that God instructed him in this particular way. God impressed it upon his heart, if you will. Uh, and we need to have our senses tuned to his promptings ourselves as we go through life. Uh, George Washington Carver. Uh, I didn't know this about him, but he evidently was... One of those who got up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Sounds like Martin Luther and some other uh, really godly people from the, the past. I'll just tell you and be real honest. I'm not a 4 o'clock a.m. person. Um, but the principle that I'm getting ready to share with you is, is very much true. But uh, George Washington Carver uh, made the statement, at, at no other time have I so sharp an understanding of what God wants, me to, do, wants to do with me as in those hours when other folks are still asleep. Why did he get up at 4 o'clock? Because he wanted to hear from God. and He met with God. In fact, George Washington Carver went on to say, are we not plainly told that in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths? That was how he lived his life, that, that he truly believed. And I do believe that as well, that God will direct our paths and, uh, but putting ourselves in, in, a, in a situation like Nehemiah, Nehemiah, where God is able to speak to our hearts. So when we hear his voice speak, we, uh, we recognize it and we respond. Some of you may remember uh, once upon a time I did a thing talking about uh, a painting called His Master's Voice. His Master's Voice is the name of the painting of the RCA Victrola dog, uh, Nipper. And uh, the fact, you know, he has his head cocked as he hears his master's voice being played on the phonograph. And uh, how is it that, uh, you know, uh, how is it then that we uh, recognize a a person's voice? Well, we've heard it over and over. It speaks consistently with who we know that person to be. Well, and when we think about uh, putting God, uh, when God's putting something on our hearts, when he's speaking to us about something, one of the things that we need to, to recognize is, number one, uh, God's never going to speak that is out of bounds from what He's already spoken in Scripture. But second of all, we, we recognize His voice because we've, we've read it. Uh, we've heard His voice as we've read the Scriptures over and over again. We, we've heard it uh, as, faith, as we've put ourselves under faithful teaching and preaching of, of God's Word. We're hearing God's voice. We're immersing ourselves in those things, and, and we're in prayer with God. We're communing with Him moment by moment, day by day, uh, as we go through the course of life. And so when he says God put this on his heart, God put this uh, into his heart, uh, it's just a reflection of his walk with, with God. And, and so it shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't be completely taken by surprise there. And he says, I've, I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at, at the first. Um, he decides that as a first step, as we begin to look to chapter eleven, as we anticipate the uh, the drawing back of people into the city, the populating now of within the walls of Jerusalem, he 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 thought, well, let's take let's look at the God has impressed on his heart that uh, that we should look at, at the past and uh, and the the, uh, the genealogy of those who had come back after the, the, the captivity, and so. Uh, he finds this genealogy. That If you look at Ezra chapter 2, by the way, Ezra chapter 2 has the exact same list, almost identical. And uh, probably the list that Nehemiah found was the, the list that Nehemiah uh, had kept in the temple, uh, in the archives of the temple. But anyway, he finds this, and then he begins to, uh, uh, to, to spell out what was written there. there. These were the people of the province who came out, up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. And they returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. And then we see, begin to see this, this list of, of folks. And we're going to see, again, I'm not going to go through the list, but I will tell you, there, there's a list here of families, uh, villagers, priests, Levites, uh, temple servants. Lots of people here. It tells us their names, tells us how many of them there were, and, uh, and then we get down to, uh, uh, isn't this amazing, we're going from uh, verse 6 to 61, uh, actually, um, yeah, 61. Um, we read the fact that amongst the, uh, on this list, there was actually a list of people who, uh, whose genealogies weren't certain. You know, you know we live in a day where people you know ancestor.com and all the rest, and people are very interested in finding out about their history and, and uh, but in this uh, day and age, this was really important uh, for the Jewish people, especially. Um, the, uh, but these people we find are have um, no evidence of their own background and uh, and the genealogies were greatly valued, as I mentioned, because it was vital that a Jew be able to prove that he or she was a descendant of Abraham in other words truly one of God's people and uh and if not then uh it let me just read uh, a portion here it says verse um 64 these sought the registration among those enrolled in the genealogies but it was not found there so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean now it, at first that may, may seem wow it's kind of cold-hearted but just keep in mind what Nehemiah's primary focus here is he is seeking to restore not just the wall, not just, you know, buildings and what have you. He's seeking to restore the spiritual fervor of God's people. And, and so the purity must, spiritual purity must be kept. And, uh, and so it says the governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until a priest with Urim and Th- uh, Thummim uh, should arise that was by the way a means of knowing god's will in which the uh, um, uh there were objects that were kept in the breastplate of the high priest may have been made out of wood or stone or or uh or bone even uh and and uh, this was a means of knowing god's will that was uh accepted and so they would reach into the breastplate and they would pull one out uh i i guess I think of it almost like you know flipping a coin. You know, which, which side comes up, which one comes out, and uh, the the uh, reality is that that um, if uh, if they pulled out the right one, then they uh, saw that as as proving them to be truly a Jew and a Levite. Um, well, anyway, it tells us that uh, they were not able to uh, even eat uh, the holy food because. This meat was dedicated to God as part of the sacrifice, and only true priests uh, could eat it. Again, we see the emphasis of, of Nehemiah on the purity of the spiritual life of God's people, and uh, sometimes that requires taking some drastic steps. But it's it's, uh, it's 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 important, and so it was. And finally, we uh, we get to verse sixty six and. And uh, Nehemiah gives us some totals here of all, I don't really want to, he's talking about the whole assembly together. Uh, he even talks about horses and mules and camels and donkeys. But uh, in other words, everybody was counted it, uh, it seemed. But uh, uh, the, uh, again, Nehemiah is preparing that the God's people for what's going to take place and moving some of them back to the city. But then in verse 70, it says, now some of the heads of fathers' houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury, a thousand, uh, and it goes on and tells all the things that people gave. Um, and uh, I think it's important to see that one part of the expression of, of God's people is when they are grateful for what God's doing in their midst, uh, they are um, generous in, in, their, in their offering. And we know that in... Uh, and Second Corinthians, Paul tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. And uh, reminds this, what's taking place here reminds me uh, of a text that you're no doubt familiar with when uh, uh, the offerings were brought for the temple under David. And uh, you know, we, we see that, uh, that David sort of uh, set the pace, but others came. And it says in verse 6 of First Chronicles 29... The leaders of fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, and the commanders. And it seems very much similar to what Nehemiah is describing here: that when God's work is being established, God's people rise up uh, to support that work and to recognize that this is truly of God. And uh, and so it is that we see it here as well. Well. Uh, I'm sorry if you were hoping that I would digest all of the names, um, but that's for another day. But I hope the principles are, are, are there, that when, when we're thinking about uh, leadership, but it, it applies to all of us. We need to look, be looking for people. We need to be people. I need to be a, a person who is, who is uh, faithful, who is a person of integrity, who is uh, one who walks with God in such a way that that uh, I, I don't kick back and just relax in my Christian life, that just like that person in Psalm ninety-two, who's growing even to the end of the age of their of their life, uh, still bearing fruit. I trust that's your desire too, that uh, that we're always growing, that we're never just content to just be complacent in our Christian walk. But um, you know, again, I talked about the fact that I feel like I'm getting older. I am getting older. <laughs> my um, Grandkids will tell me that all the time. Um, and, you know, Papa, you're, you're, well, you're old. They also tell me I'm uh, <laughs> plump. <laughs> um, that's another story for another day. But it makes me think, what kind of a legacy are we leaving? I know Nehemiah was concerned about that as he is bring as he's giving leadership to, to God's people. To, to leave a godly legacy, a spiritual legacy. Uh, and uh, when we think about this, uh, just saw a quote this week from uh, Billy Graham, who said, True greatness is not measured by the headlines a person commands or the wealth that he or she accumulates or the inner character of a person. Uh, excuse me. Or, or I, There's a period there. Uh, True greatness is not Uh, uh, based on the wealth that a person accumulates. The inner character of a person is the true measure of lasting greatness. Um, When we come to this text and uh, you probably may be familiar with a book called Hand Me Another Brick by Charles Swindoll. He wrote a book based on Nehemiah many years ago actually now. But in that book he, he speaks about the significance of the unknowns. And When we look at these names, for the most part, these are unknown people. We don't know much about them, but we see that God was going to use them in a remarkable way to bring about his purpose for his people. When I think about uh, the significance of the unknowns, I think about uh, a book that I recently uh, went through by U.S. Senator uh, Tom Cotton from Arkansas called Sacred Duty. Maybe you've seen the book, maybe you've read it, but... uh, he talks about his service in Arlington at, uh, with the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And on the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, as you know, it says, Here rests in honor, glory, an American soldier known but to God. Uh, in other words, nobody knows that person's name, doesn't know what they did, but God does. And, and it kind of reflects, too, on the fact that, that uh, life is filled with significant unknowns. People that uh, uh, we'll never know. We don't know. If we heard their name, we wouldn't even know it. Uh, some of you in this room might know names like Abernathy or Barnes or Sheck or uh, people like that, Klingbile. Uh, those are names of people that in the early days of Grace Free Church, uh, God used to help establish this church. I should say Larson. And, and Truman, you all are still here, Barry. <laughs> and we're grateful for you. Um, but God uses people in ways that, you know, uh, isn't it wonderful that we can look back? And, and probably most of us, when I, I mentioned Abernathy, probably most of us don't know who that, who that family was. He was one of the first elders of this church. Um, but just think about all the people that, that serve in a, in, a, in a typical gathering of God's people in a church. You know, whether it be Sunday school teachers, worship leaders, uh, nursery workers, or, or whatever. Uh, these are the, uh, the unknowns, so to speak, that God is going to use collectively to bring about his purposes. I'll leave you just w- with just one last one. How many of you have heard of Carl uh, uh, Bo- Boberg or uh, Stuart Hine? I'm going to guess nobody. I hadn't, but maybe maybe Chris, you're a music guy. But uh, Chris Boberg was a 26-year-old Swedish, got to throw in a Swedish here at the Free Church, uh, a minister who wrote a poem in 1885 called, Oh Mighty God. Uh, writes this poem, kind of forgets about it, never goes anywhere. But uh, in 1923, an English missionary, Stuart Hine, uh, comes across the poem and he puts a Swedish folk melody to it. And uh, the story goes on, but uh, the, it ultimately leads us to the closing hymn that we're going to sing this morning uh, out in the parking lot. Is that right? It's called uh, How Great Thou Art. These are people that, you know, that God used. I mean, how many people, think of George Beverly Shea, how many times, how many people listen to him sing How Great Thou Art uh, at uh, a Billy Graham crusade? And... Uh, That song has ministered to more people, including my own, uh, than probably a few other hymns. But we don't know. We didn't know Carl. We didn't know Stuart. But they were faithful people that God used to help God's people grow in their walk with Christ. I trust that we will all seek to be that as well. That we will seek to be people of integrity, faithfulness, and uh, people that God can use. May God guard our hearts from the adversary and keep us strong and growing in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege of being able to gather freely in this place with uh, friends and uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we pray that you would continue to use uh, this flock uh, that you've called into being to further advance the gospel, beginning right here at uh, this location, but expanding beyond the walls of this church. Father, keep all of us uh, from, being coming, be, from becoming complacent in our walk with you. Lord, instead, give us a, a fresh uh, walk that's new every day. Uh, Lord, give us attentive, attentiveness to hear your voice as we open your word day after day and week after week. Father, may we be found faithful for Jesus' sake. Amen.